welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. I'm here with Mark Del Priora. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? Hello, Carl. How are you? I'm I'm good. You know, I I in my pre-interview questions, I forgot to ask you. How would you like to be introduced? What would, I know that you work at uh, Manhattan School of Music these days, and you're doing some stuff at Juilliard, and you've been in New York forever. So, what is your right. what's your official title, guitarist? <laughs> wow. Well, I'll tell you. Um, a while ago, you know, 20 years ago, I was on a um, a new music program on WNYC. It was a very well-known new music program hosted by John Schneider. And um, I, I asked him, you know, he had, had a lot of famous people on, and I, and I asked him just to introduce myself as a guitar teacher, you know. And, uh, so, and he did, and then afterwards, you know, the sound engineers were like, John Schaefer. Oh, leave it to John Schaefer to uh, invite a guitar teacher. You know, but I played. I played. <laughs> yes, but, but but I played Nunk and I played all this. You know, Petrosi. This I played a lot of new music at that time and Hansa and all the stuff. But I just had him introduce me as a guitar teacher because basically, you know, that's what I do more than play. Uh, right. You know, atonal music. You know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's, it's 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 a funny thing it's you know and i i get i get varying responses to that question and mo- most people don't have an answer you know they're just like i'm just i'm just a guitar guy that's what i do you know so right <laughs> right well you know what you know what i do professionally primarily is teach these days yeah and i um I also, you know, I guess the next thing I do would be performing and uh, accompanying and things like that. And um, and then uh, after that, um, probably composing. Yeah. Although, and, and that's the thing I, I probably, probably the most personal thing, you know, uh-huh. with guitar teaching, you're interacting, you're meeting, you know, meeting of minds or trying to understand uh, where the student is coming from, right. where they want to be, how do I get them there? Um, so it's very much, you know, uh, in, in, interactive to people uh, or more uh, figuring stuff out. Sure. And, and, and then with performing, it's likewise, you have yourself in the audience and you're, um, um, you know, trying to, and hopefully succeeding in moving them, keeping <laughs> keeping their interest right these days, which is more and more difficult. And then with composing, you know, that's for me probably uh, the, the the most personal. You know, like I, although lately I've been collaborating a little bit more. You know, okay. but I would with with um, people who have asked me to write pieces for them. Cool. Um, but before that, you know, this is fairly recent. Before that, I would be just like kind of writing, uh, trying to um, kind of live my dreams, you know, through, sure. through the guitar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, li- literally, like you know, most of the time, it's not even guitar music that I want. Uh, 
hearing? You know, it's how do right. I fit these ideas onto a guitar and how you man that, that's the kind of uh, a beast that you have to deal with, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And but nowadays I've been collaborating a little bit more with guitarists, like I've written a few pieces for Cristiano Porquedu, great oh, yeah. guitarist. Yeah. yeah. And um um, he's played a lot of your music that you haven't written for him too, hasn't he? Ex exactly. Yeah. Yes. He's he's recorded two pieces I've written for him uh, um, and a piece that I or I wrote for a Brazilian guitarist named Paolo Mortelli for his new okay. debut. And now he's playing a piece, uh, well, he's, he's on the docket is a, uh, a set of uh, uh, variations that I wrote on a theme by Fernando Sor. Oh, okay. you know, that, and that was written that, that was a big piece that a uh, 45 minute piece that, uh, <laughs> yeah. in C minor oh fantastic yeah <laughs> but, well, uh, it's funny because when, when I think of your compositions big is 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 the word that that comes to mind <laughs> you know well, I, I, you you have <laughs> your, your your scope is I would, I don't know, I'd, I'd say maybe ambitious or I, it, it's, it's definitely not, uh, you're not writing miniatures and you're not writing trifling little pieces, you know, <laughs> they're terrifying. <laughs> yes. Well, I take a lot of time, you know, that's it. I take a lot of time. Uh, I don't have like, um, you know, deadlines so much when I do and I have a deadline that, you know, I'll write shorter pieces or somebody says I wanted to write a piece for this purpose. Right. But, um, you know, if I'm writing like, of something that's a, a a vision, you know, like like what we all have visions. Like we want to, your vision was to record the uh, Bartolotti. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, like I know at least a half dozen people have listened to that recording. Well, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's like a vision. I mean, that's yeah, who who does absolutely. that? But somebody who is uh, driven, you know, driven right. to do it. You know, that's terrifying. You know, <laughs> you have to get it out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know, yeah, go ahead. Do you, do, your process in, in terms of writing, I mean, do, do you write all the time or do you do you have like flurries of, of, of activity where, you know, you just caught up and, and, and write for a while and then don't write for a while or is it a constant thing? How, how does that work for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes from fl flurries of activity, yeah. actually. Yeah. Where, where it becomes, um, you know, hopefully not a Sunday composer type. Right. Know? But I think I'm thinking about it all the time. All the time. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah. So I have always things in the uh, in the background that I'm thinking about. Sure. You know, I'm on the subway all the time. You yeah. know, there's a, a <laughs> lot of daydreaming going on there. Nice. As daydreaming and, and looking over your shoulder. You know. <laughs> <laughs> It's, a, it's an interesting creative cocktail. <laughs> That's cool. And, yep. and you, I know you've written a lot of solo music, um, and there's some chamber music in there as well, right? Right. Yeah. Flute, a flute guitar sonata. Okay. I have a flute viola guitar piece, and I have okay. song, some songs, some guitar duos, things like that. And, and I'll tell you that the most difficult thing, because I have, and I have a lot of things uh, you know, engraved on finale. Yeah, and and also a lot of things still like a manuscript that are ninety nine percent done, ninety eight percent done. Yeah, you know, probably like about a hundred Yeah, about a hundred pages, really. You know? Oh my gosh! And um, <laughs> the most difficult thing for me is to just get to that, that 
that finishing stage because there's nothing yeah. worse than like writing in fingerings for me i hate writing yeah in <laughs> and and final you know final thoughts on this sure. dynamic this dynamic is should be do you do that thing you know the last brush stroke like like painters do like it's okay now it's done or or do you constantly like tinker with it and say oh it's not done yet i need to do this i need to do that do you which which way do you go on that yeah i constantly tinker you know yeah yeah definitely and when i play my own music when i perform my own music i, I make changes you change it yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> much to the publisher's chagrin or <laughs> yeah i don't think too many people notice though the change <laughs> <laughs> And it's not always making things simpler, you know, it's just adding a note or taking out a note or, and sure. it just reacts to like, you know, what the guitar you're playing, yeah. you know, the, the, the string length or the, or the uh, uh, resonance, you know. Do you ever do that on, on the spot as you're performing or, or is it always thought out? It's, it's pretty much, advance? it's pretty much worked out in advance. Yeah. Pretty much, if I, if, uh, I would say, off the top of my head. Yeah. So, and then how would you... I mean, I've heard I've heard a lot of your music. I've I, I can't say that I've well, I've played it. I've not played it well. Uh, <laughs> I I generally, I've looked at it and I'm like, man, this is hard. <laughs> but I think it's great. I think it's really. I mean, it's 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 intense stuff and and really, um, I don't know. Heady is the wrong word. It's very, it's well thought out. You know. I mean, it it. it I think when I look at it, it just strikes me as being very well constructed, and, and you know, obviously the uh, the product of an intellectual genius. <laughs> um, but I, I'll, I'll quote you on that. I'll tell my wife. <laughs> there you go. You can put it in your press kit. <laughs> Everybody like, who the hell's that? Um, and you know, it's it. it what was I gonna? I, I don't even remember what I was gonna gonna say. Um, so I've, I've looked at it, and one of the things that I, I know about you just from seeing things that you post on Facebook and conversations that, that we've had through that, um, you, are, you are very well-schooled well in, in uh, modern music, contemporary classical music. Um, and and, and I, would, I would even say to an extent that is, is far beyond your average guitar Joe. You know, you, right. you you talk a lot about, you know, really, really deep stuff having to do with, with major, major figures of, of the avant-garde in 20th century. And, and I just wonder, like, where did that come from? How did you... It, are you like, yeah, that's a great, that's a very good question. I think your music shows that, too. That was, that was, that's why I was the connection I was going to make. Yeah, yeah. When I look at your music and I, and I hear you talk about that stuff, it's like, oh, that makes sense. This, this guy knows what he's doing in that realm um and i just yeah just wonder how that how that happened for you right that's a good it's sort of interesting how you know how we grow up and such but um and it really goes to way back um and and it's because you know i learned a lot early and um from a couple of a couple of um sources and the first thing was um how did I get to, I remember my dad, I don't know how he got to this stage where I was pretty young, you know, 14 or so. My dad's working on the car outside, putting in a new <laughs> engine or something. And I remember calling out, calling out the window and saying, dad, I, I want counterpoint lessons. <laughs> now, I okay. don't know how, how I knew, <laughs> oh, I 
I know. I, I know how I find, like how to get even to know what counterpoint is. Yeah, I, I had you no know. idea what counterpoint was right. when I was fourteen. Right. So, <laughs> so when I got interested in in classical guitar, because I was like probably you, I assume, and many all of us, you know, yeah. we played um, we played rock guitar, electric guitar, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and. Um, and I, I don't know about, about you, but the people are starting out with like Black Sabbath, which I, yeah. I still think are really good. You know, yeah. the first four albums I really love, you know, still. I'm like, wow, this is really good. That's awesome. And, and it's great music for 10 year olds because you can figure yeah. out how to play it, you know. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then um, you kind of get interested. A lot of the kids get interested in what, in what music is. And, and then I heard what a classical guitar sounded like. Somebody in a, in a local... Um, music store played for me you know like it was the first time i heard straight yeah. up classical guitar you know Leanda and beret what did they play you know leenda i remember exactly in the bach yep. beret in, in e minor you know and a very good player yeah and the, 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 um, the Rom- i had a similar experience with the the, the famed romanza my first classical guitar yes. teacher in a music store on his knee like like kneeling on the ground with one knee up playing that and I'd never I had never heard classical guitar before. Right. I was about ten years old. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, what is it? It's about something about like you hear people play piano and like you know I guess a, I guess that that must happen to any any instrumentalist, you know. Yeah. Like they first time to hear a piano. I don't know. But with guitar, a lot of people I've spoken to, like you it's like when you hear a guitar, it's like an epiphany, like classical right. guitar. It's like the heavens open up, you know. Yeah. And 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 the sound is something about that that sound that um, Angelo Giordino tells a great uh, story of his uh, first time hearing a classical guitar, and his is really cool. It's he he, want, he ended up going to uh, into a theater. I think I'm remembering right, it was he was expecting like to see a movie as a yeah. ten year old, and instead it turned out that it was like a concert, <laughs> and it was I I Presti came out and played. Oh my God. Yeah, so he, the first time he heard a guitar was like at a Presti playing. So, and it was like an epiphany. And, and an accident, yeah. Yeah, and an accident, because I asked him once, I said, why, why do you write so much, you know, why do you write guitar music, you know? And why don't you just write symphonies and right. piano sonatas? And he said, well, this was like a, uh, such a amazing imprinted experience yeah. that it was just like constantly trying to recapture that experience. And I think... Yeah, is that amazing? And, and so I think that it's was like, like heroin. That for me. Take heroin. <laughs> you know, I bet you that the endorphins or whatever heroin does to you. Right, right. And we you spend the rest of our it. lives chasing after it. Yeah. 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 Pro- probably that's a good. Yeah, that's a good analogy, actually. You know, it could because it's an experience that is like religious almost. You know, right? I, I, I guess. And, I don't remember um, a whole lot of of other things that happened to me from that age that clearly but I, I you know absolutely that's a very very vivid memory and and you know if, if i can hear it in my head still you know i mean that's right. that's crazy so right yeah yeah it's wild and so then i got enough interested in in, in the classical guitar that i you know got went to the library and found some books and uh-huh. studied myself and the reading part of it was not difficult for me because i don't know how you st- did, if you did electric guitar lessons or anything like, but we we went through all the uh, Alfred books and you know okay. to book four, book five, and that's like heavy, yeah. that's very intense on the oh, reading, yeah. sure. you know. So a person who goes through those books can can read yeah. Carcassi and, and, yep. and stuff like that. 
And um, so it wasn't hard for reading, so I learned some pieces. Then I went uh, to um, a music store to buy a classical guitar with my mom. And, um, and I played some of the pieces that I had learned on my own. And the salesman said, oh, wow, you know, you know, he was interested. He played well, too, uh, um, you know, better than me, he was a salesman. But he, <laughs> he noticed I was really interested. And, and um, I told him I was going to take lessons with this guy in the local music store. And he said, oh, don't take lessons with him. Take lessons with his teacher. <laughs> and then he went back and he, and he looked in the phone book and he came back with the phone number of uh, Rolando Valdez Blaine. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and he gave, <laughs> and he gave me that phone number. And, I'm, and I was like, oh wow, what a great idea. What is a good point. So then I started calling Rolando up to get okay. um, guitar lessons on my own, you know, like, and I'm not, it's not normally like my personality to make, uh, to make phone calls, but uh, out of the blue, but I, I did. And, and he was at that time, super busy performing. And he would just say, no, call me in two weeks. And I put on the calendar two weeks and, I <laughs> two weeks. and then, you know, call me in two weeks. And then sorry, I'm going on tour. I'll be back in a month. And I just kept, kept calling him. He didn't tell, he didn't say no. You know, right. he just said, he was trying to just put, put well, what was he doing at the time besides besides touring and playing concerts yeah he was playing concerts he was touring with the joffrey ballet so he was oh, all wow. the time out oh touring with, yeah with a couple of big ballets where he was a soloist <laughs> yeah he did it for 20 years so he was performing all the time all over the world with with them and um solo stuff too so eventually you know i wore him down you know i wore him down <laughs> And um, I get, and I even not only wore him down, but I had him. I got him to reduce his fee. You know, <laughs> it must have looked like a little sad kid. You know, and because he was charging it, at that time, I don't. It was thirty five an hour. You know, this is okay. like uh, this is like seventy five. Wow. You know? Okay. And that's it was a lot of money. You know, so yeah, but yeah, I got yeah. up to go to, to down to twenty five. Nice. <laughs> and then I I, I I went for the lesson. And um, now, when you go, like, for, I'm from Staten Island, which is okay. like peripheral borough, borough of New York. I mean, it's sure. a very interesting place. I mean, I met a lot of great people there. It's the so residential it's like, borough. The residential <laughs> borough, borough, exactly. And that's where, you know, all the um, city workers um, live because they have to live in New York, you know, right. very, by law. So they, they, nobody, no city worker could afford live in Manhattan sure, so they all, they all in Staten Island you know and um so so to go to his apartment it was like you know there'd be a, port, a Spanish portrait early on would be like a Spanish portrait of him playing guitar and, oh my and he had and he had like a theorbo you know <laughs> on, on his mantle and um all this music and he picked up and he played this oh my God. you know Segovia kind of style like nailing it you know where where you could play just a couple of chords and the sound coming out you don't really hear it like that and I mean, not too many people yeah. do this but they'll play a couple of chords and and the sound is this ancient kind of uh, mm -hmm. sound that you know from those old old guitars you know yeah and uh it was like such a mystery you know to go to lessons and 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 i played for him when i tried to you know when i tried to learn on my own and then of course like 
any good guitar teacher said, don't play that stuff and just do right hand alone. <laughs> right hand alone for <laughs> put the guitar down. <laughs> you, know, public, you know, index middle on the second string for an yeah, hour a day. Sure, you know? sure. Yeah, so we, yeah, so that kind of thing. So we did that, and uh, but but he had like what, what you you going into is this kind of um, cultural place, you know, where where studying with a guy who. Um, who had a pedigree, you know, was in Spain, right. started with Reno Salamaza, you know, t- t- could work, uh, uh, played for Pujol in Pujol's apartment. Amazing. What was that like, Rolando, to play for Pujol? You know, oh, he tried to sell me his method. <laughs> I said, I said, did he play for you? Well, he couldn't really play it, you know. <laughs> and by that time, this would be the 50s. Right. And, you know, and, uh, and oh, he made me, he wanted uh, me to cut my fingernails. That was a big thing at the time. I mean, he wanted to cut his fingernails. So, um, so you're getting this like hit, you know, the people you read about books, you can, yeah. you know, you learn from your teacher. And it's old, old, real old schools, European, basically. Right. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Spanish uh, uh, and European. And, um, or the stories where, you know, his teacher was a guy named um, Oyen Gurren. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And okay. Oyen um, you know, I have some of Oyen manuscripts from Rolando. And Oyen Gurren was wow. um, Barrios's duet partner. Right. You know, amazing. And so it's amazing. You know, so here I'm studying with Barrios's, the student, the, the disciple of Barrios's <laughs> duet partner, you know. And, um, you know, and it's just sort of like a kind of living history, you know. Yeah. That, that, that oh, was yeah. very, like, that I found very inspiring. <clears throat> And and how, how old were you when this was, this was going? This would be 14, 14, 15. Okay. Yeah. And and yeah. I mean, so again, at that at that age, you know, I I'm pretty. I mean, I had been I had been playing classical guitar for a little while, but I'm pretty sure I had no idea who Milly Pujol was. I certainly wouldn't know known who Owen Gurian was, or you know, maybe a little bit of Barrio. So, did you? I mean, did you just have an idea from him about how, you know? what you were being exposed to or it would yeah yeah pretty much but i always went and um you know to the library okay and to the um to the bookstores and so i I accumulated books and and, and in the library especially the great thing and then in the library this is on staten island you know i used to go to the library um there right in port richmond and um to take out their books and their their books were all Forty years old in 1975, they were all forty years old. <laughs> so they were, so they would have. It would be great because their their book would be all about Schoenberg and Stravinsky, the fight, you know, between <laughs> Schoenberg and Stravinsky. And 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 then it would have like you know things about because uh, uh, it was like the contemporary music book, and they would you know say like oh Bartok is a promising young composer, you know, nice. they were that old, you know, and then and then I would find Kostanov Tedesco listed as uh, oh my gosh. A, a potentially good composer because it was so old <laughs> and um so that's how i learned a lot and then um, um from the idea of counterpoint from reading about counterpoint then that's when i uh, to go back i was asking my dad uh you know for counterpoint lessons and then well what do i what do i do i, I swear i went uh, to the phone book you know and i looked up oh you know music teachers and and then um i came across a, a name of a guitarist um ed ed carl was his name okay and he um if i'm remembering correctly and and so 
I, I, I called him up, you know, like, I don't do that. You know, I called him up and then he said, well, he said, come on over. And I came over and I told him, you, you know, the market. he goes, well, you know, you, you know, um, I, I don't really teach that stuff, but I can recommend somebody to you. And this guy's name is Dr. Roland Trogan. And uh, Dr. Roland Trogan got his doctorate degree from uh, University of Michigan. Okay. And, and he studied with, um, his main teachers were um, Ross Lee Finney, an American, okay. very fine, forgot, not, not too many people know who he is, <coughs> Roger Sessions. <clears throat> My goodness. Yeah. And, um, and then Dalla Piccola and Robert oh, Gearhart. Wow. And, and yeah. he was uh, George Crumb's college roommate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and he was teaching out of his house at the time, in his basement of his house. He was giving uh, theory lessons and piano lessons, right? So, um, and he was very at that time. He, uh, he was like very ambitious. Uh, later on, his music school kind of turned into be like a kind of mundane kind of community school. But in the in the mid seventies, he was doing uh, really progressive stuff. You know with the manner in which he, he, he taught, um, which was individualized, you know. Uh -huh. He had worksheets that were, you know, progressive uh, in level of difficulty. And then he had um, a couple of assistants. They were always pretty girls, you know. <laughs> and they would be in a room to help people if you have questions. And he would be there for, for the questions that the girls couldn't answer. Amazing. And, yeah, and, and I would stay there for like literally seven or eight hours on Saturday. Oh my god! And I would just go through all. I would just stay there. It was like an obsession, and I would just stay there. And and, and he had a, a, an amazing, this amazing system. I still have all of my worksheets. I saved them. <laughs> yeah, every every bit of information I, I did. And 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 he would. Um, his basic approach was harmony. Was as we all probably teach, learned uh, from derived from Bach chorales, right? But counterpoint was um, like more or less, I think, Ernst Krennic style counterpoint. It oh, was like okay. twelve tone counterpoint. Yeah, like Schoenbergian, Krennic. Yeah, uh, classical, uh, classical twelve tone counterpoint. And huh. so he had when when the students would take lessons, I mean, and he did teach a wide variety of people. Um, um, that, that's how what they would learn. So you'd have like kids from Staten Island going and studying a twelve tone music. Amazing. Yeah, and we would make our roads and we, and oh roads, and we would and we would write pieces, and we'd say, "Okay, your assignment today is to write a twelve-tone piece, you, you know, using uh, these manipulations of the row and wow. in five in five voices in all the alpha clips." <laughs> you know, but most people quit by the time they got to that point. But I kept going to the point where he ran out of uh, ran out of worksheets. So I would show up and be, oh, I have to make a worksheet for you, you know? Because <laughs> it was Amazing. like a, yeah. And, um, but, the, but the really great thing, and I told him about this, he, he since died, but I, well, I, I called him up um, not too long ago, you know, like 17 years with him before he died. And I would say, you know, uh, Dr. Trogan, I always call him Dr. Trogan. And he said, I, I said, you know, the greatest thing that was really phenomenal was uh, when I would, when we would go, when you would have us listen to uh, music, because what he yeah. would do every week, he'd have a listening um, example. Okay. And then he would write program notes. They were like uh, even like laminated. You know? oh and so gosh. we would listen to this is like all these teenagers. Wow. We, we would listen to, uh, uh, um, um, I swear, uh, uh, Boulez structures. 
<laughs> for two pianos. That's how come I know this stuff. Yeah. And and Stockhouse and, and he loved Janacek, so we would hear Janacek and Gostakovich. Oh and we would and we would have to read these program notes while we're sitting with the headphones. And wow. Uh, so you got to learn like all kinds of music. And then and then, then when I told them that, that how many times really did you life. see kids just take the headphones off and walk out? Oh <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean they well. <laughs> I think I was just like kind of in my own world that whole time. Yeah, you know? I mean that's like, so like, that's such an unusual thing, and and at the same time, so that is so freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was for, and to have that, and then, um, you know, he was since he went to uni University of Michigan, and he had these teachers who were, you know, all really connected. I, I, I mean, in Manhattan, you'd you, you know you would find, uh, of course more you know probably the, the source you know but you but basically on Staten Island I was studying with this guy who studied with right who studied with Schoenberg and Mr. Vincent right. or Francis with and all so you right. so you got like a lot of secondhand stories you yeah. know so you would you would hear you know because Frosty Finney was in Paris with Joyce and Ezra Pound and so yeah. so you know I'd be a kid and you'd hear like you know your your teacher talking about Ezra Pound you know, right. And Ezra Pound and Vivaldi, you know, Ezra Pound and Vivaldi, you know. But, yeah, because Ezra wow. Pound was the pioneer in re, you know, in, in resurfacing the music of Vivaldi. You know? Wow. And so you learn this crazy stuff that you end up learning about in college. And it's like you hear uh, a name and you go, oh, wow, I remember when Dr. Kogan mentioned that guy, you know. Yeah. It's like, wow. So you have like a little kind of personal connection. And uh, I thought one really, I thought really interesting. Um, story that he got from Ross Lee Finney, um, I'll talk about him in a minute, was that Ross Lee Finney studied with Alvin Berg. Okay. And, um, and Finney said that Berg would use the transpositions of the row and he would refer to them like, you know, if you take the row and you put it up a half step, he would refer to that as the Neapolitan. You know, and he would refer to like if he transposed it up the fourth, or oh, that's the subdominant. He used the same tonal te Interesting. Uh, tonality, uh, terminology. Yeah. You know, so um, so there. So you think, well, these guys are are thinking in a mismatch of like old, right? Uh, oh, tonal systems. Sure. You know, and, and and but but it's but it's twelve tone, but they're still kind of locked in, and and that that's like kind of why you think. Their music is so great because it's not a complete break, you know. And, and then, like right. when you go to colleges, although I was in, in colleges, they weren't they weren't quite teaching the uh, set theory with the numbers, you know, associated right. mm -hmm. zero to eleven. That yep. I don't I don't recall learning that actually in, in, in uh, undergrad. I think that was a little bit later. So I was undergrad in 79, 78, okay. 79 or whatever. Yeah. And um, but that that's like a complete divorce from tonality. Right, like that, you know, yeah. so, 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 so subconsciously. So, like, if you look at Webern sketches, you know, he'll write intervals. This is a minor six, right? Perfect fourth. So they were yeah. thinking in in a way that I think really helped their music. Sure, I, I, you know, speak. You know, I think you know to us for me. Yeah. And uh, but was, but 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 that idea, you know, that that Baird thought of it. You know, if you if you transpose it up a fourth, it's a subdominant. You know, right. So there's some there's some familiar structural context whether or not you can hear it I think 
I think that makes a difference, you know. Right. I, I, I often would, would talk to people, um, or students approaching more contemporary style music and say, you, you have to think of this with the same brain that you, you know, that you think of common practice stuff, you know, right. it's, it's, it's structural. You have to, you have to think about phrasing. You have to think about larger shapes. You have to think about, um, you know, with meaning, it's not just a sequence of, of sounds, you know? And, and, right. and so I think, I think that's, there's something there. There's, you know, if there's a larger sense of organization underneath what appears on the level, it's going to make it through and it's, it's going to help with, the comprehension, I guess, or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, I think, I think that's, that's kind of, yes. kind of important. Yeah, yeah, because this phrase, you know, you do have music that doesn't have the classical or traditional phrase yeah. structure, right? I, I mean, even pop music has pop music or Schoenberg, it still has phrases, <laughs> right? <laughs> Black Sabbath has a lot in common with Schoenberg. So. <laughs> well, actually, did you ever hear that? recording um i would recommend people who like black sabbath that there's a recording of a, a medieval group that translated yes black sabbath into latin yes. and yes. then did it with the medieval it's amazing yeah it's amazing yeah Stunning. it really is because it has like the exactly like the ozzy osbourne singing yeah basically chant you know? <laughs> it says some stuff on one note and then it goes up and then it says some more stuff on one note yeah. and then pitch goes down you know <laughs> Like reciting tones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so before you before you started working with with Trogan, did you um did you have any training in harmony or anything like that? Because you know, I think of like when most of us most of us are exposed to this kind of these kind of theoretical ideas about contemporary music and twelve tone rows and things like that. Um, you know, we start by you know spending a lot of time with common practice and, and understanding theory and, and, and harmony through in that way. And I, and to me, I think, you know, if, if, if you didn't have that and your first taste of thinking about composition and, and counterpoint and harmony and all these things was yeah. jumping right into, to this, I mean, but it was simultaneous. Yeah. Oh, it was okay. simultaneous. Yeah. So we did, you know, harmony was based on Baccarat's analysis. Okay. So start. you did do that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then counterpoint, like right after was 12 tone yeah. counterpoint, you know, and it was it at was the same time you're studying it. Exact same time. Amazing. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much simultaneous. I think the Bach came a little earlier. Yeah. But, and then the analysis of the, you know, we did a harmonic analysis. And funny, like, um, I, I just remembered, I, I, unfortunately I don't have my Mozart's sonata book that we worked out of. But I remember studying the um, Mozart variation set, and and he actually had us write numbers over the theme, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like eight. Pitch class. Yes, yeah. yes. You write numbers, huh. oh, oh, pitch class numbers, and then you go to all the variations and write the numbers oh over all the variations and where the where the notes, yeah. you know. Minus the ornamentation, you find where the skeleton right. of the theme, where the theme is, has a skeleton. Amazing, but it's kind of using. Yeah, was that that was uh, I haven't thought about that in a long time. That was a, a pretty interesting way to analyze Mozart, yeah. you know. Sure, but yeah, it, 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 it was fun, <laughs> but it was also like mysterious as well, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like you're going into a the guy, you know, a guy who has a little setup in his basement, <laughs> and, and then and then for the for the students that were were like exceptionally interested um every sunday night 
And these are like kids, you know, 14, yeah. 15. Every Sunday night after his dinner, he'd invite everybody over to his apartment, about 10 people, and uh, or to his house. And and he in his living room, and we'd all be sitting on the floor, like it was almost like hippie time, you know. We'd all be sitting on the floor, <laughs> sitting on the couch. And then after his dinner, he would come out and sit in the main chair, and he would have projects. What one year it was was like first semester or a year or whatever. Yeah. It would be um, Berlioz, Romeo and Juliet. So ah. we all analyzed Berlioz, Romeo and Juliet. Oh my you know. gosh. I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. Right. I yeah, mean, yeah. I think he was living in dreamland, like with his uh, <laughs> disciples. But, and then, and then we would have, you know, we would analyze Romeo and Juliet. And then the next year or semester, I don't remember, was uh, uh, Tristan and Isolde. Oh my gosh. Know? Yeah. And we would like, I think, and we would be like all these people in high school, you know, who yeah. are really interested in music, kind of sitting on the floor hearing, hearing this doctorate. Uh, of music from University of Michigan, like talking about stuff that I think really we didn't really understand. You uh, know? Sure. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, how could you? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of, kind of, kind of did, you, but you got the mysterium of it, you know? Right. right. Inner sanctum of intellectual yeah. <laughs> stuff that, you know, you shouldn't even be there, you know? And <laughs> wow. That's, yeah, that is nuts. <laughs> it, was not, it was really nuts. Yeah. It was, it was totally nuts. <laughs> yeah it was a weird it was weird you know for uh, <laughs> for that but, but fantastic but he, too but I mean, my yeah, god yeah. that's that's amazing yeah, and so that was, was really that, was that all he was doing like that was his sole occupation was running this counterpoint theory academy out of yes. his house and, yes oh, that was oh. and then he and then he rented a place and opened up a music store a music school and then that music school was um you know and then you know he had to I guess pay the rent and that's so what he had to <laughs> all his instrumental lessons and that, yeah. that kind of idealism really went down the tubes. It just sure. became like a local, like a standard, yeah. like a standard music school. Yeah, yeah. as many. <laughs> yeah, but before that, it was it was very special, you know, and, and, and very idealistic, you know. So and there were people, you know, who I'm not. I'm envisioning like Socrates and his his disciples. You know, <laughs> did he wear a toga? Yes. <laughs> It was like, <laughs> yes, but then the funny thing is, I, I, uh, when, when I, you know, after many years of not speaking to him, but just because of working, I, I said, I have to call up Dr. Trogan. And, and, I, and then he would, you know, we, we met a bunch of times and I went, okay, he came over here. And, and then I, uh, and I like his music. You could go online and hear, you know, hear his music. Okay. Um, and some of it is really, really good. And some of it is like very, very like lugubrious. And, yeah, and he's very he was like a depressed kind of person so uh -huh. you, you can see you can sense that the music is really well well made but it's just like kind of like it gets stuck you know it's like kind yeah. of stuck in the sludge you know some but but anyway but he's a also the master you know just because you can be a great composer and a bad composer at the same time sure. actually yeah, yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> and, and um but I did. I did ask him to write a guitar piece. I started bugging him to write a guitar piece, you know, and had a very interesting conversation. Uh, he said, "Well, you know, I never thought of the guitar as in the great Western tradition." <laughs> and he was concerned with the great Western tradition, wow. you know. And I said, "Well, you know, we have such great music, you know. Both, both of you, if you refer to the lute, you know, if you think of the, like what Britain did, sure." Make sure. references to the lute in a romantic yeah. way, 
Or I said, also, I think, I said, I think Fernando Sor is a masterful composer, you know, yeah, as a composer. And, um, you know, you can learn a lot just to see what he did. And he goes, well, and he knew Sor, you know, and Sor's music. And he said, well, he said, um, I, I really admire Sor's craft, but he reminds me of Hindemith. Because <laughs> <I> was... <laughs> That's some shade right there. (laughs) It's like he's very crafty, but I just find his music boring. That was basically. I am no longer going to refer to Sora as the Beethoven of the guitar. I'm going to refer to him as the Hindemith of guitar composing. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Yeah, well, that's kind of interesting, you know. Well, it's funny because I, you know, I'm sure you've heard the, the, you know, the 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 ballet music. Um, from Cinderella, this yeah. Story. I mean, the first time I heard it, I was I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, this is." I mean, somebody could have told me that was Haydn, and I would have been like, "Oh yeah, sure, no problem." <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know his orchestra music is very, very yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, the guitar is just a part of what he did. Right. Yeah. Maybe half. I, I don't know. And I think I think of of things like that, and our friend, our good friend Bartolotti there. Um, you know, and and I think. There's this strange thing, you know, Trogan mentioning that, you know, he doesn't think of the guitar as part of the, the great Western experience or however you described it. But I think we only look at it that way because we have amnesia. You know, I, I, I think if you, you look at where the guitar was historically, um, it was right there for a really long time. And, and you know, the, the people that were innovating on the instrument and, and really using it were, you know, they were major figures of their time. And, mm-hmm. and I think we forget that for some strange reason. And it's really, really weird, you know? Right, right. Well, like your part, the, the Bartolotti we're talking about, where he t- the pasta colleagues have all the keys, yeah. right? What does that take, like, two, two hours to play? Yeah. If you, if, yeah. You, if, you take all the, if you take all the repeats and play the entire cycle, it's 90 minutes of music. Yeah. And, so and they, the, again, the level of organization that music is stunning. It, it, it you know, you... Each each of the Pasakai is is has the same number of sections, um, and there's this symmetry to and I, I it's been a long time since I've thought about this stuff, but there's symmetry from from work to work in terms of like okay well this is the quiet one and this is the big strummy one and and you know it, and each of them modulates into the key of the next one so you know in theory you could start anywhere in the cycle and play back to where you started and it, it's it 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 there's it's nuts and one of the things that i looked into uh, is it uh is it hudson that did all the research on Pascal and sarabande and chacon is that does that sound familiar he wrote a bunch of books on on it <laughs> and i've looked at them but one of one of the things that he he talks about with with Pascal is, is there are certain types and these Pasakai is, is when I started look, analyzing and looking at them, I thought these don't fit any of the types that he's describing. What's going on here? And it, but actually they do. They're ground base Pasakayas, but there's no base. Mm-hmm. So you you can you can look at these Pasakayas and extract a bass line, like a, a ground base for them. And I've, I've actually I've, I've performed a couple of them with somebody playing the the baseline and it's really it's fascinating Very but cool he, he makes no mention of it in the in the book and there's not it's not it, it, unlike a lot of the the other 17th century books there's not like in the it, there's not an appendix where oh here are the baselines for these 
pieces, you know, they did. It's just not there. So, he, you know, it's really interesting and it, it, a head scratcher. But yeah, to, to, to think that that was going on in 1640 for our instrument. And, you know, it, as far as I can tell, it's miles ahead of, of anything else that was happening at that time. You know? Right. Well, with a Baroque guitar, you have all these implied basses, right? Mm -hmm. You have the, and, and, and you know, if, if you, you use the French tuning, was it, how, how did you tune? I do, the, yeah, I do the French tune just because I'm lazy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know the feeling. So that means if you're in E minor, uh, um, no, if you're in B minor, the lowest note that comes out is an F sharp, right? right? Because of the right. fourth yeah. course. But yet it doesn't sound like it's six no. chord. No. So yeah, it's really I, weird. I, I, it's I like, don't know what that's all about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but it, it's, it's, it's strange too. Yeah, because there, you don't get that same pull that 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 a bass voice tends to create you know and i don't know why why they because intervallically it's you know it's no yeah. different but don't hear it that way for some reason yeah well what happens is there's something it's like the equivalent of an optical illusion you know yeah and um so those bass that that fifth string tune up an octave with those if you're in b minor you play the, the low b it sounds in combination with that f sharp it creates like yeah. a, a bass and so yeah. I guess that's probably how your, your, your what was it, the cello or the gamba? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I've, done it, I've done it with gamba and I've, I've done it with cello, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so you, you worked out a bass line from, from yeah. how it yeah. was implied and the roots and, yeah. and, and it's, it's, the rule it, of the it's, I've done that with about four of them and it's, it's surprising how tight the construction is. Like I didn't have to, I didn't have to alter the bass line rhythmically or chromatically in any way to make it work for the entire Pasakaya in, in any of the instances that I've done this. And it, you know, it's just, wow, that's, that's really, and cause some of those harmonies are weird, like yeah. really bizarre chromatic approaches and, and like, what's going on here, you know? Um, and again, it's something I think we need to pay attention to this. This guy was a guitarist writing like this in 1640, you know, it's, right. it's a big deal. And, right. Plus, plus the, um, you know, the way guitarists approached harmony, um, where, you know, like in the Psalms book, yeah. where he gives, um, you know, the different uh, alphabeto mm -hmm. symbols for any minor chord, you know, right. and, then it, and they're all listed on top of each other in that library, yeah. so they, they can be used like substitutions almost, mm -hmm. right? So they they started using the idea of chord inversions, chord positions, like the right. equivalency of chord uh, chord positions. You know, E minor is a E minor, a little plus sign. You know, is equal to uh, sure. whatever it is on the seventh fret. You know, but so they're thinking in terms of basically chord inversions before right. it became the practice. In, in you know before Rameau came up right. with the theory of chord inversion. So we, we, yeah, I always tell the students at Manhattan School we talk about alphabeto. You know that they have to tell their theory teacher. You know that we are, <laughs> that we, we we did it first. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because that's the thing that in, in the conservatories they don't really teach the guitar. No, not in at their, all in their theory classes yeah. or music history classes. Yeah, and not so from the point of view of theory, uh, you know the theory of chord inversions. Um, this Guitar is really, uh, you know, really important. You know, I wouldn't be yeah. surprised if Rameau heard, you know, Francois Campion or somebody. 
Right, you know, sure. Or, I or mean, do, they, or they do, were yeah. they were in those circles, right? It right. makes sense that that would have happened. And you just observe, yeah. you know, observe Campion doing this stuff. Oh, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's that. And then the other thing about the guitar and conservatories, which now with the, um, with, the with, with the thing about cultural inclusion, you know, this is yeah. like a big thing in all the conservatories that we, or music schools that we want to uh, be culturally inclusive of all of all types, you know, of, um, of, of cultures, right? So, so now you have piano departments, you know, playing, um, who are all obsessed with Beethoven and Chopin. Yeah, you know, they're all for thirty years walking down the hallway. You hear everybody playing the G minor ballade by Chopin. Everybody, yeah, they come from all over the world to practice. <laughs> you know, the hard part of the G minor ballade. You know, <laughs> <clears throat> and with guitar, I mean, God, we. Everything we do is culturally inclusive, <laughs> right? Exactly. You know, yeah, e yeah. even within Europe. But but now, look, we have you know we have Barrios, the indigenous person writing great stuff, you know, yeah. including music influence from this environment. You know, right. uh, battle pieces and things like that. Yeah. And and then all of our great great music from you know Latin America. We have this great African tradition of mm -hmm. guitar. Williams kind of slightly touched upon it, but there's a big big. African tradition, you know, classical guitar, and and, and everything is there. But I, I thought, it, you know, really, it would be great if standard music history um, programs would teach about Barrios. Sure, what was happening oh, yeah. in the middle of Why South not? America? Why not? Yeah, yeah and it would be great, great for everybody. But everybody's so. And then even with our our instrument in Europe, you know, you had because you had Middle Europe, right? The, right, Northern Italy, and you know, Vienna and uh, Germany, all those places. You know, but our instrument is like from the per perif peripheries of Europe, you know. Yeah. Spain, southern Italy, all these guys are, I don't know mm -hmm. where Bartolotti is from, but you know, so are these guys, everybody's from Bol outside. He was Bolognese, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so the, um, um, you know, we have like outsiders, but yet everybody outside was in the geography, but everybody seems to want to focus on the middle, the middle right. European music, you know. But once I was at a Beethoven concert, a, a piano, and I, I, being a guitarist, you know, I started hearing habanera. I like, wait, <laughs> wait, that's not a habanera, you know? But why not? <laughs> why not? You know? And who who knows? I mean, who knows what what Beethoven had been exposed to, and you know, was... right? Yes, but Beethoven, he was exposed to Giuliani, that's for sure. Yeah. You know? Well, the, yeah, but, uh, exactly. You know, but but we have a great yeah. So it is really a part of the you know. The great Western tradition. You know? I think so. And you're right, it's amnesia because people are just simply not taught about right. it. Right. You know, yeah. they don't know I, about I, the world guitar. I always I always think too, you know, it's the, the the people I think part of the problem is the people who have written the textbooks that everybody uses when they're in, in college studying music history, music theory. I mean, those are textbooks being written by uh orchestral comp or conductors and and uh keyboardists and singers you know i mean that's right. that's that's what that's so so you learn about symphonic music you learn about keyboard music and you learn about opera as if nothing else exists right. <laughs> so it's you know whether the bias is conscious or not it's it's still there and i, th I think you know and another big idea that i have about it is you know we have to know it first right you know and, and i and unfortunately i generally i look around guitarists and and our our ignorance of our own repertoire and what importance the instrument had um, in that tradition is 
you know, it's it's stunning. It's like what people don't know. And I think, well, right. I tell my students this all the time. It's like, if we don't know this, we can't expect anybody else to either, you know? So, and, and, right. and there's this, always people, you know, talking about the guitar being on the fringes or segregated. And I've, I've, I don't like this term, but I've heard it used. People say the guitar ghetto, you know, and there's this constant crying about, oh, we're not in the, the mainstream world of classical music and and i think we bear some responsibility for that you know if you, if you want to be in the mainstream world of classical music you better know your stuff you know and right. so and I, I think that's it's it's an interesting it's an interesting problem so right right yeah and, and the real thing I, I think with that is chamber music Have yes people, people getting really accustomed to yeah. playing yeah playing chamber music that pl plugs right in and yeah. um uh, but, but but nowadays, though, with the width of our experience via the internet, yeah. it seems like people are copying each other more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you know, like, in the old, you know, in, in the more or less old days, you know, you'd have somebody in, you know, you'd have somebody in France, you know, and they would be in their spot in France and they have their uh, kind of culture that they would interact with. It was like a petri dish of musical culture there. <laughs> and they would they then have their own sound and their own, uh -huh. and then you'd have it in Spain and you'd have it in, yeah. you know, maybe in New York, which at that, in, in that time in the 40s and 30s, it would be like South American driven anyway, you know, from yeah. uh, the Cubans that were here. And Segovia. So it would be like Spanish, uh, Latin American mm -hmm. at that, you know, more or less at that. But although people don't, that maybe in the Midwest you'd have Foden. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and these guys. And that was, uh, what's their name? Uh, Bigford, you know, that, that uh -huh. was the culture, you know. And, 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 but here, I think in New York, it was more sort of Latin American, Spanish. And, uh, and then you have a sound, you know, that right. came out of it. But now with the internet and the way they make guitars now, it's really become very, very, conformist yeah you know, it's very homogenized yeah very very much and um i wonder too about that some sometimes because i think of the the way that the guitar started sounding on recordings you know when i was when i was young um you know and, and it's not that people didn't have distinct sounds but it it it, it started to become less and less that way um and i i always i always think of you know like mid 80s early 90s kind of thing and it, I, and it goes hand in hand and I don't know if, if the digital revolution in recording had anything to do with it or what but it, it that you find that there's this sound there's this like recorded guitar sound and I know you know I was a student during that time and I, I that was the sound of the guitar that was in my head right so right you know trying I, th I think I think that had a lot to do with it too is is just this homogenization from from that you know, these, these, we're listening to these CDs and, you know, it's, it's a very clear, almost characterless, characterless sound, you know, and the, and the precision of playing certainly was something that was going on at the same time. And, and, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's interesting the way that kind of filtered in and now, yeah, like, I mean, and I, I, I think it's funny to listen to guitar music through, through YouTube or something like that, because it's so heavily compressed you know right. so it's it's i mean if if there are you
can you really tell if somebody has a great sound on a YouTube video? I mean, I, I don't recall ever once going, wow, listen to that guy's sound from watching a, a YouTube video. And then you have, you know, the, the instances of people sitting in their bedrooms, obviously, and there's this tremendous reverb that sounds like, you know, they're playing at a cathedral or something. It's hilarious. Right. You know, it, it's right. just, it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, 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 the touch, the variety of touch has been narrow, too. Yeah. You know, so like yeah. if you walk... You know, Bream and Segovia, those folks, they have such a wide variety of touch. And right. now people are playing these, um, and I understand why they're playing these high efficiency guitars. <laughs> I, just, I love that. You know, high efficiency guitars. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Is that a term or did you just, did you just make that up? I don't know. I, th I think I've never, I've never heard, heard, heard that before, but that's perfect. That is absolutely yeah, it's like a car. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you go like this with your middle joint and the sound comes yeah. out like, you know. Really, it's huge. Really big. Yeah. 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 You know, you do that on a Hauser, you know, yeah. nothing, nothing. You, know, you have to like, a whole, a whole mechanism you have to access the weight of your arm and your wrist and your shoulder, it's, you know, how you get them into the string. But like with that, you don't have to get into the string, you know. Is is this the is this the guitar version of back in my day? I had to walk uphill to school both directions and snow up to my forehead. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. But it's also true with um, true. you know. I think everything, even with actors, right? Like you know, yeah. Cary Grant had this voice, and Big yeah. Big Crosby had that voice, and Jimmy Stewart, and everybody had like unbelievable, unique, yeah, uh, personality, right? And now you you know. You don't. You just don't see it. It's just because because the influence. I don't know. You know, there's like a common, such a big common influence from the internet. Right. Everybody's seeing the same stuff, yeah. and they're responding to what. <laughs> but as seeing. but as a trade-off, we have access to the entire human mind at the you know at, at, at our very fingertips. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and probably the human body too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say <laughs> the internet is for porn i've heard that <laughs> <laughs> amazing they make all the money but uh <laughs> but the um yeah the internet yeah it is it is, it is great now I, I learned i learned so much from facebook you know if you you find people that um are like-minded you know yeah. and in our case i mean they're like-minded for Good things. <laughs> like -minded. I, I, I mean, that's the problem with the internet. <laughs> well, it's but, it's funny because you know you you mentioned that, and you and I have had exchanges through through Facebook several times for going on you know for several years and whatnot, and I know that um, you know you you've spent time with with Stanley Yates, who's a very dear friend of mine who I've spent a lot of time with. Um, you know, and you worked with Matanya and I, okay, I, of I, course. I, I think I'm pretty sure I did some proofreading for your pocket Sonata when he, oh, cool. he published that. I'm pretty oh, that's sure nice. that's one of the pieces that I, that I, that I proofread uh, for him, which is, it's funny to, to me. Cause I did a lot of that kind of work for Matanya when I, when I first moved to Columbus, um, you know, I was, I think 23, 23, 24 years old. And I knew him, and I knew he was here, and and I needed a job. <laughs> so I worked I worked in his warehouse doing shipping and receiving and answering. Oh no, phone. kidding! Yeah, and uh, and you know got to know him very well, and very became a very dear friend of mine. And and uh, but one of the things that he had me work on was was proofreading, 
which is hilarious because I'm a terrible proofreader. <laughs> My skills in that area are awful. I'm, I'm too scatterbrained, you know? It's like, yeah. I, get, I get very easily distracted. And even even with my own stuff, you know, I'll go through and proofread something. It's like, what the hell? Yeah, you know what I mean? well, well, proofreading your own stuff is really hard. Yeah. That's harder because you know what's coming up and, and it's very, very hard to find a mistake. Yeah, but I but I think so. Our paths had crossed that way and through through Facebook and whatnot. Um, well, Matanya, it's great, right? You you're you're from his neighborhood. He was such a great uh, figure in the guitar world. I amazing, mean, amazing. And he's very very missed. You know, he's really yeah. missed in his and very encouraging too. I mean, for yeah. a lot of my players. And I mean, I know he had his rascally kind of side but yeah you but, but in, in person he was like a sweetie pie right yeah you know? absolutely he was, like, he, he was one of the most generous people i've ever met um yeah absolutely absolutely just a big teddy bear it, it, yeah. it's funny but my my uh when i first met him it was before i started working working for him i had gone into to his office to talk to him and somehow i don't remember like what we even were talking about it was something having to do with right hand technique you know and 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 I, I remember, and he, you know, you don't have to spend much time with Matanya to realize that he just loves to argue, you know. He does, and, yeah. And, and, and I, I think, I suspect at times he would put up the most bullshit argument just to show you his skill in argument. You know, like he, he's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue this really ridiculous point and beat you because my skills are so much better than yours and <laughs> would you like to step in the ring and I, I know he did that I have no doubt that he did that you know and and so I, I you know I, I remember leaving his office you know after first meeting him and I was fuming I was just like god what a what an asshole and you know I just I, I couldn't I, I I was I was yeah it was awful you know and yeah. the very next week Yamashita was playing in Cincinnati and I went down to, to the concert and you know, Matanya and, and Yamashita were, were close friends and, and um of course Matanya was there at the concert. And I was early and Matanya was early and we we're like the only two people in the lobby and I was thinking, Oh god, this is gonna be so awkward, this is terrible. <laughs> and he walked up to me, he put his hand out and he said, I had a really great conversation with you last week and I I, I really appreciate our, our discussion. And I, I was completely disarmed and taken, taken aback by that. I was like blown away. I thought, wow. And he, he leans and he goes, and you know, a lot of people think I'm an asshole. <laughs> 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 and and, and that, that, that right there, that story to me completely sums up everything about Matanya. You know, and then we were just the best of friends after that for for many years and, and just yeah he was he was so good to me he was he was fantastic and yeah so so many things to say <laughs> so yes. and you, you you so you published the the pocket sonata with him but there's there was other music that you published with with him as well right yeah for sure um well um the first thing i published with him was a tango, tango okay cafe Cartiopo. yes and that came about because um, I was at a GFA in La Jolla with him, uh -huh. and he was, you know, and I played my third sonata there. And I said, and, and, you know, like you know, like you said, you know, the music is difficult. And I said, hey, Montano, what what sells? You know, what kind of thing yeah. sells? And he said, a tango. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna write a tango. <laughs> you know, so I wrote this tango, and it did sell actually. Yeah. You know, 
it had a nice cover and it's like a, you know you know piazzolla kind of uh, mm-hmm. stravinsky start off you know <laughs> and, and it's a, and it has a pretty middle section but it did itself so that, that that was a good thing and um and then i wrote um then i think the next one was the pocket sonata i'm pretty sure that was the next one then um then i did um because I have five publications. Oh, the studies. I wrote, I wrote 10 okay. studies. Right, 10 right. little studies, which are also, out of everything, that seems to get the most play. You know, like people wow. require, yeah, people require it in you know, a couple of music schools. You know, because they're oh, 10 cool. little pieces, like yeah. kind of like on the level of Brower slash sure. Villalobos preludes. So they're, and, and he, he did those. And he did a great, and he was great at it too. He did a great, really good job. Then we did, then he had this idea with that Haydn, um, creation fugue oh that's know. right yeah yes and that was like he wrote uh that, that you know that that sore in his method mentioned yeah. that he plays um the double fugue in d flat from the creation right you know which is a big piece to the finale of the creation and it's yeah. like a, a double fugue for chorus and orchestra and so mm-hmm. so claimed uh to have played it so um montagna you know, I gave it a go, you know, for Montagna, and I transcribed <laughs> I say it was the hardest thing I ever did, because I worked from the edition he sent me, but I also checked a few notes, you know, had to check other sure. editions for wrong notes. I think he sent me the, uh, maybe it was a Clementi edition or Playel edition, I don't remember okay. what, what it was, um, publication, but it was an old piano edition, so, but, I, but I did check with the orchestra score, uh, you know, when, when there was a funny note that I wasn't sure about. So I spent a lot of, a lot of, a lot of time on that, many, many many months really you know and so i fashioned a a solo guitar part out of that and um a funny story about that is the counterpoint there is like crazy dance yeah you know like how to fit how to make the counterpoint work and how to like let something disappear and change Mm -hmm. register and uh you know you know so like uh, and since you know it's you have four voices and sure. you can't fit all those voices. Repeat a <laughs> register, so it's not really a entrance. You know, so you have to do funny things. And, but it worked. It worked well, and I played it in concert and et cetera, and it's on YouTube somewhere. But um, but the funny thing is, it's just one measure. Um, it's like the nothing measure, you know, boom, 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 boom. You know, just that. And um, I, I I I I missed the measure. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so I sent it to him. And he printed it all up and he sent it back and I got the printed score. And then I, I looked at it and it hit me right away. Talk about, talk about proofreading. I'm missing a whole measure. It's the boring measure. It's only, you know, but it's a whole measure that was missing. Yeah. And, um, and I said, but Tanya, I said, I'm missing a measure. I don't know what to do. And uh, he said, you could do two things. He said, we can put in an errata sheet in every single publication, right. which will co- which will cost you X amount, right? Because like, <laughs> you have to print that stuff. <laughs> yes, and then with the contract and all, it's like up right. to me. And then he said, "Oh, you can buy the whole uh, the whole printing, you know, for two hundred fifty dollars or something." Oh my gosh! And 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 I said, "Okay, I'll do that." So I bought up I bought up the entire thing, and then I ripped everything up, and then he oh. re- then he had it reprinted. 
Yeah. Oh, so that's gosh. why if you were someone's worth the company. So you made you made about four dollars on this transaction. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, about 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 a half a penny a, a month. <laughs> no, but really probably that per hour. But we do it because it was a puzzle. Right. And right. and the oh, um gosh. and uh, so if you look at the score now, you'll notice that the measure numbers don't match up. There's a missing, you know, there's an extra measure, but it doesn't. It's not reflected in the uh, measure numbers. You know, because oh somehow with the score, they didn't make it through. Yeah, as a professional proofreader for editions or fay, I have to tell you, the first step that I would take in any project was to number the measures and make sure that they. <laughs> yeah, but that was a hurry because that was a hurry thing because he was sending stuff out to press Amazing. Her. You know, oh it's like, oh, well, gosh. I have to send. I, 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 I luckily, I he said to me, oh, luckily, I didn't send this stuff out yet. It was due tomorrow or something, you know. But uh, but I'm glad. But you know, and people. I mean, I don't know how many, but a few people have played that. It's, it's like the most. The, and the way I thought of it, if anybody's interested, is if you play all, all of the, or at least the last five, yeah. of the source studies in the Segovia edition, right. And then play this. It's like the capstone, you know. Right. It's all going to this. Well, you just wrote my next concert program. There you go. <laughs> yeah, because the, and in fact, when I played it, I used to, I used to, when I performed it, I would do the B flat study as prelude. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and then go to the. Uh, <laughs> I think I'd rather just write a few. Run my uh, run my left hand over with a car. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's the hardest left hand. So, so then I did that, and then um, with the store variations, uh, which were was that's an interesting story because. Um, so I had this set of store variations, which is um, like 15 variations going through uh, the, the decades of the 19th century, you know? Okay. So, 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 so my imagining is that, you know, you have the whole store minuet and that is sort of like flies to the desk of various composers, you know? Oh, wow. And, and they write, you know, they write something based on that. It, it's like a histoire du uh, tango book with yeah. classical uh, <laughs> Or in the manner of, you know, this kind of stuff. And, um, um, but more, it's not in the manner of, because there's a lot of irregularities, so it's never a, a pastiche. And it always has a little bit of irony in it. So that's why yeah. it's not like just a pastiche. So the, um, so that's the idea. And it starts off, the first variation is Be Beethoven, like a homage to Beethoven, thinking of Beethoven. And the last two variations are uh, Schoenberg and Busoni. So it's oh, 100 wow. years from 1820 to like 1920, uh, you know, right, with, right, with right. the Berlin, you know, Schoenberg and, and, and sure. Sony were in Berlin together and they had their own worlds there, uh, interaction there. That, so, you know, that's, um, that's a stunning thought to think of, you know, that the, the distance between Soar and Schoenberg is the same distance that we have from Schoenberg. Unbelievable, right? That's yeah, crazy. Things are really, really crazy, yeah. And <laughs> so the story with that is I had this piece done, it was finished in manuscript. Like you know, months bef before, you know, for a while anyway. And um, so Montagna says Montagna is getting the Lifetime Achievement Award for the GFA, you know. And Montagna calls me up and says, "I want to submit some pieces to be the set piece, you know." I think I think I'm not sure, but I think they gave him as a condition of him getting the Lifetime Achievement Award. He had like a say or yeah. total say or essay. I, I could see be. him wedging that in there, yeah. Yeah, sure. he wedged it in there. <laughs> and, um, but he didn't tell me that, so I'm, I'm not really sure about that. Um, he said, so I want you to submit 
you know, a couple of pieces or some, uh, you know, five minutes of music or whatever to be the set piece. And I said, well, I have pieces over here that nobody's seen. Like they were, uh, I was actually planning a volume two, you know, and go, well, keep going. And I said, but, but so I have these pieces that nobody's seen and uh, we can do this. So I picked a couple of, two of the variations. It's a prelude and a fugue. And um, the fugue was, a, you know, a homage to Busoni. Right. And the prelude was a homage to Scriabin. And, the, um, and so I, I sent it to Matanya. You know, we, I graded it really fast. I sent it to Matanya. Then he sent it to the GFA board. And then it was a huge silence. I mean, I don't know what happened, but it was like a, really many, many weeks where then I finally heard back. I figured during, during those weeks, either, you know, I don't know what they were looking at, else they were looking at, but I think they probably just, Matanya just browbeat them to use my piece. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I had no idea. I was on the board of the GFA, but this was before I was on the board of the GFA. Right. And um, so I don't know what happened, but it ended up becoming the set piece, you know? Yeah. And um, those two, and, and there are some great YouTube performances. And then from that, one of the guitarists in the finals, I forget what you came, came in second or third, Damien Lancel. Okay. He commissioned a, a piece for his eight string. So I wrote like a 15 minute, 16 minute. Oh, cool. Uh, rather large piece, uh, complicated piece for him um, on his eight string. So it, it, it did okay enough that the, the people who played it liked it, you know, yeah. enough to ask me to write another piece. Because a lot of times the set pieces are you know, <laughs> reviled, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> There, there, there are a couple in there. Yeah, I won't, I won't mention any specific no. ones. <laughs> but well, it wasn't I think, a commission. I think, I, think the, I think the Ian Krause is fantastic, though. I love that piece. <laughs> I don't know that piece. I have to, ch I'll have to yeah. check it out. The, yeah. the Moldavian, the variations on the Moldavian Aura. It's fantastic. Ah, oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's an older one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, there's a, no, there are definitely really good pieces. But my piece wasn't commissioned. It was, it right. was so it's not a commission piece. By the GFA, it was, you know, and then and that's why it's published by Matani because he. Uh, um, again, oh, that's right. Have, yeah, he had yeah. that. He had that thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So then, and then we, and then it was like a, a big, a big job. You probably proofread help with that because it was a big job to get that all engraved. You know. Yeah. It's like you know, thirty-eight pages in C minor. Oh my gosh. Plus, you know, I, I didn't even think it was playable, but. Some people like in a whole, but there's uh, somebody uh, did play all of it. Record how, how it's long on YouTube. is it? It's forty five minutes. Good lord! Yeah, I think, <laughs> and a lot of it. There's something that a lot of it is in um, C minor, A flat. Yeah. Because I, I found it really uh, interesting. You, you were talking uh, at, at first about if I write in a flurry or all at once. But yeah. for, for that, I really wrote a lot of it because it was very inspiring to write in that key. And the uh -huh. you know the flat keys, because it changed the meaning of the open strings. So all yeah. the uh, you know the open strings now became active like tenths, right? Like leading tones. Yeah. So now the A is a leading tone. Yeah, it's a right. totally different. Yeah. yeah. And and then the, and the way the effect it had on the range of the guitar too now you know yeah. and uh, so it, it it just that that concept of the flat keys and the this feel. And, you know, I never thought inspired. about that before, but that's 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 really interesting. Yeah, you take, I mean, we're so used to playing all this stuff in, in A major, A minor, you know, where you have tonic subdominant and uh, dominant basses. Yeah, and then they're they're all leading tones now, really active and yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Huh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. And that, I, 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 I always like playing those keys because the, the the resonance of the instrument is 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 different. You know, we, and again, we hear so much of the same stuff and and. 
I, you know, again, just I have the the attention speak attention span of a, of a gnat. So, like, going and sitting through a you know typical guitar concert where it's just one one soundscape for an hour and a half. You know, I one of the things I always try to do is, is break that up. So you know, I'll I'll play Luder Huela music and I always use the capo, and it's not because you know I'm I'm trying to be hip or anything. It's just it's a different sound, you know, it's a different I, I agree sense, completely. You know, yeah. yep. Scordatura pieces, you know, all of that. I, and I, and I try to program things with that, you know, thinking of that in mind. I don't, you know, I don't want to sit and listen to that same sound for an hour and a half. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, <laughs> most people be like that. But, oh, right. And that's, yeah. I've always thought, thought about, about those keys as well. You know, just there's something, just having that slightly just different resonance that the instrument has, but I never, I never really thought about that leading tone thing, and it's right there. You know, that's that's very cool. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny how when the guitar had uh, it got the additional string, to the sixth string. Right. It, it it got more limited in the keys. Yeah. You know, like like with Corbetta, Corbetta has the same series. Yeah. Similar, you know, the concept of the uh, of the series of Pasacalli, kind of yep. on greening, right? That was like a thing bro guitarists did. Right? Mm -hmm. After sixteen forty, uh, only after sixteen forty. <laughs> That's where we did. <laughs> yeah, probably they knew they knew the body yeah. a lot. Too, right? I, I think so. I think and I I think Corbetta especially because if you look at the publication dates, um, you know they they were. I I'm pretty sure Corbetta had had. It had been exposed to Bartolotti's music. I'm, I, I, I might be wrong. I might just be imagining this and making it up, and you know. But uh, it's it to me. It's it's pretty pretty interesting to look at at what changed after that 1640 book and, and the way that people kind of. Well, they were involved with the uh, elites, right? I mean, they were yeah. in the courts, right? So, I mean, I'm sure these books circulated among the rich yeah. people who could afford them and have them and get them. And, Right, right. So they'll show Corbett. Hey, Corbett. Here's a, here's a question for you. What do you think about this? So, one of the things that I think is interesting about the, the the guitar music from that time is that it exists mostly in publication. Right. These are books that were being printed and published. Whereas, you know, with with the the lute repertoire, the vast majority of that is is in manuscript. You know, and I know that the music was, music's were being used differently. Um, Socially, so that you know that makes makes a little bit of sense. But when I was when I was looking at the Bartolotti, one of the things that I discovered, which I th I think is is really fascinating, is the publisher that he used was actually the same guy who published the Monteverdi Vespers. Oh wow! Yeah, which again to see you know the guitar is in there with the major players. You know, it's not something out on 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 the fringe of the culture or whatever, and. A typical print run would was a thousand copies. You know that was, you know. So, and if That's you look at it, it is a lot, especially yeah. considering that the time. But it makes sense why we would still have original extant versions of this obscure guy, um, you know, in this book that he published. But I, but I wonder. It's like I don't think there were music stores. You know, I don't think I don't think people were going down to the corner and buying the. You know the latest edition of of, of Bartolotti, and so there were a, th a thousand of these things printed. Were they given as gifts? Were they sold to people? How? What was the circulation? And I can't find any information about this wow. at all. But well, I, I, I heard that like I, I imagine with Baroque guitar too, with guitar, and that the um, places like Venice had lute 
repair shops and loot makers like oh sure yeah you know so i I would imagine you were a lot of you know the way you in the old you know you go get shoes soles of your shoes shirts right no you didn't (laughs) buy new shoes you would go to the cobbler so um i i think that there were enough loot stores musical (laughs) instrument stores that makes sense yeah huh some music it's, it's but, really but interesting to think about that, though, you know, and and and, and the difference, I, I, the difference is really interesting to me too. That that you know, all the guitar stuff. That's the, 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 if you, I mean, there's manuscript sources too, but the vast majority of it is is published, you know, which is, right. is at, and, at and a time that, when when there wasn't much of that going on, you know, and it, and to me, it just tells you again, you know, the, how popular the instrument must have been, you know. Right. Well, it wasn't it said, or isn't it said that the guitars hung in the barber shops? You know, yeah. So that like, they had guitars for people to right. play. Yeah. yeah. So maybe the, the you know, maybe they sold them in all these barbershops. <laughs> well, they did have great hair. <laughs> yeah. They had great hair. Yeah. Why do they need? Why do they need barbers? They had great such great hair. I know. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, but but it was probably way more, more way more shops and and things and sure. You know, that sold instruments and yeah. did repair and had kind of the books circulated. <laughs> you know, who, who, who knows? Yeah. But um, but I love, like, in my guitar literature class, um, you know, we talk for the first semester about the Renaissance and the lute and blah, blah, blah. And then when we cover Baroque music, when we talk about the Baroque guitar, um, it's a, uh, around the time that students are going to be going home, for uh, Christmas, and then I so I teach them, uh, you know, the early alphabetical books by Corbetta and San Severino and these guys, and we listen to some recordings of you know the alphabetical strumming. I said, now go home and show your parents what you learned. Strum <laughs> <laughs> a D chord, strum an A minor chord. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It sounds like Bob Dylan, you know. Right, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, it's interesting too. I always think about you know that 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 kind of that 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 break away from the strumming, right? And and how that influenced the the development in the instrument, the the pedagogy on the instrument, all these kinds of things. Um, but there's this thing where the strumming styles through you know, the, the conquest of, of, of South and Central America and um, just, you know, the, the European imperialism that was going on, that those were the styles that were being imported throughout the world. And you, you get these little offshoots that, that are tied to that and continued. And I think, you know, South American music especially you know the the the, the polyrhythmic strumming and and really complicated stuff that was going on or that that's still going on in that music in flamenco you know I, those those are offshoots from from that whereas you know the 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 academic classical guitar became you know more right you know it, it's it's really interesting how that that, that very interesting happened. because like yeah you have and, and then the later baroque guitar music is like almost all plucked Yep. Right. So it's like a, you know, I don't know how you would how you could put it, you know, because I guess um, Guerrero, he's the guy who's all plucked. Yeah. Right? He's mm-hmm. strumming and and his music. So, yeah. but yet he wrote folk dances. So it can't be classist, right. you know. 
Right. Right. You know, so he, but I guess it, I think it might be, I always feel like in a general, super, super general way that, that the, the loot just, the way the loot developed, it got so cumbersome and probably expensive. Right. And the guitar was so sleek and it could do all these implied things. Yeah. That the guitar just kind of you didn't have to buy as many strings, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> and you didn't have to tune that thing, and you'd have to tune that right. <laughs> and the guitar just sort of was easy, you know, not easy, it's not easy. The brook guitar is not easy, but um, it had you know, it was come more comfortable and it just sort of gobbled up what the lute did. And then they started <laughs> doing the plucking, it's like, oh, yeah. look, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I can do what anything a lute can do, I can play 10 course music on. Right, <laughs> you know, and, and and so it was, you know, yeah, and it has such a compelling sound, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guitar. yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> so, to to bring it into to to your current activity, um, you you're teaching at Manhattan. Yes. And you're doing something Juilliard too now, right? Is that new or have you been doing that? Well, I'm doing a, uh, at Manhattan, I do, you know, I'm the chair of the guitar department currently and we do. Oh, congratulations. Uh, all that. Oh, well, it's, you know, it's just more, <laughs> more secretarial work. And, uh, yeah, but thank you. No, it's a blast. We have great students. And the, um, um, at, at, at Juilliard, I, I'm teaching the guitar literature classes for Put Harms uh -huh. for, for the undergrad. Okay. And also they asked me to do something with the evening division. They have an evening division. So um, I'm teaching a class of, um, you know, basically amateurs from beginning, okay. beginning, a beginning class, you know. Oh, cool. And uh, working, you know, and it's really a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun stuff about teaching in that situation. First of yeah. all, first of all, there's no oversight. You know, right. So <laughs> perfect. Perfect. <laughs> you know, it's not like, you know, all these strictures of matriculated place. Sure. And then uh, they, the second thing, really great thing, is all the students get my 70s references. <laughs> you know, and even earlier, like they know who the Marx Brothers are. You know, the kids today, mm -hmm. graduate students, they don't know who the Marx Brothers are. So yeah. when I say, when I, when I mentioned in class when we were listening to a piece of Giuliani on piano and there was some kind of piano lick, and I said, wow, that sounds like Chico Marx, you know? <laughs> and they knew and, who that is. <laughs> and they didn't know who that was. Yeah. Who's that? How many people have you heard, how many of you have heard Marx Brothers? Grad students. You're like, nobody. No, wow. Nobody. Oh One person gosh. said, I think I did. Yeah, so, so it's like a, you know, I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know how that happens. So I don't know who they are, but... Um, so there's that fun part. And then, uh, the, I, I, honestly, I always tell people this, but I don't find any difference between teaching a doctoral student and teaching a beginner, you know, it's yeah. all, you know, it's all about figuring out how they think, you know, and explaining stuff. And, you know, it's, it's it, it, for, as from the point of view of the, of the teacher, it's the same kind of challenge, sure. you know? So I don't, I don't think of it like a, in a hierarchy at all, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I, I, I and then also you know they um, not now they're not beginners because they play for four months you know and they're playing you know soccer play pieces but right. um, and and we use the Shira book the the one from the nineteen fifties oh wow learning the classic guitar you know wow. with with some <laughs> supplements because I think that's a great book you know it, it was a I I felt that 
with that book, because I taught out of that book when I, when I used to teach at community music schools. Yeah. Brooklyn, Brooklyn Conservatory, places like sure. that. I would always use that book. And um, I found that an average person, an average person of average talent can get to the back of that book at the end of the year. So if you start in September, oh, by the end sure. of June, you could get to be able to play these yeah. little Karuli pieces. And then yeah. once you can play those little Karuli and soar yep, over 60 there. pieces, then you're there. You know, then you could, then you're there. You know, then there's a whole world of stuff on that level, yeah. you know. And um, so that's a great book, I think. You know, what, what, what you have to supplement it because it can be dry. But there's enough stuff to supplement it. That's right. Exciting, you know, but uh, um, but that's, so that's a fun thing. That's a fun thing to do. And and I also taught at Manhattan School. I had, I had such a blast. For I taught a graduate section, three hours a week, fifteen weeks on the music of Frank Zappa. Oh, um, cool! And that was a great a great course wow. to teach. And, and the students in the class, which was just, you know, believe it or not, also people, uh, you know, young students that, that don't, don't even know who's happening. Right, is, right. You know, yeah. so you have this thing where, you know, a lot of the, the population of a lot of conservatories are, are foreign. You know, that's right. uh, Asian, usually. That, that yeah. They don't know who Zappa is. And I don't know if they it should know who Zappa is. <laughs> they wouldn't understand him, you know. <laughs> there's a, Yeah, there's a lot of cultural references there that wouldn't, wouldn't really It would be fly. very complex. <laughs> you learn a lot, you know. And, but, but maybe too much. But yeah. um, so the class was small, uh, you know, six or seven people. But they were great. And they played, you know, for the final project, one, one, one student played the Black Page. You know, oh, cool! Group together, but another student gave a lecture, uh, a demonstration on Zappa and Messiaen. Oh, know? fantastic! Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and I said, "Wow, I never even thought of that." But Zappa did know Messiaen. Yeah, you know, he knew everything. And um, um, so that, yeah, it was a very, very uh, fruitful and very difficult class to teach. I mean, sure. I had to prepare. It was just a lot of information because he, I, 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 because I think Zappa is like Bach. You know, yeah. well, how is Zappa like Bach? Well, Bach. It's the zenith of all music up to his time. He absorbed yeah. all music. Like somebody once said that Bach was the greatest Renaissance composer. You know, <laughs> like, like everything is there. Yeah. And, and and with Zappa, everything about 20th century music, yeah, is is in his music somewhere. Yeah. And unbelievably prolific. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So you can you can in all styles. That's the difference. You know, yeah. you can go through. Um, um, you know, all the modern stuff, Zanakist, yeah, and Stravinsky and Stockhausen, all, all of Berio, all of that is yeah. in his music, but also all the, you know, the blues players mm -hmm. um, that, that, that influenced him and all popular music and yeah. doo-wop music. So really, all, all 20th century music of all genres is, is in his music somewhere. So it, it becomes, like I could get, I would give a class on, talk about Zappa, but I would talk about George Anthile and Mel Powell. These, you know these people because of, <laughs> and you can play excerpts and so the students get to learn about all kinds of um, right. it's really about the world of Frank Zappa not about just him you know sure. and also about film there's a lot of yeah oh that people, yeah sure you know of course of multimedia stuff yeah yeah wow so that was a great is, class is, to teach is that a class that you teach regularly or is that was just a one-off kind of and thing that was or? a one-off that was oh, a one-off no. yes yeah, so I'm hoping to get it like reinstated you know, yeah, absolutely. As as things uh, progress, and it had a, and before trigger warnings were popular, <laughs> that's a new thing, right? <laughs> I, I when I first submitted that, 
Yeah, you curriculum. need those for, for that class. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When I first submitted it to the to the curriculum committee, yeah, uh, which was a long a long time ago, yeah. where it was refused, and then <laughs> a new president came in, and we then it was accepted. But the um, um, I put trigger warnings in when I first like 20, Good. 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> you, you were an innovator. Not, I was an innovator. You know, big letters. <laughs> This might be disturbing material. We will touch upon <laughs> topics that might, uh, you can leave if you want, you know. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and but who would, take, who would take that class if they didn't know how? how uh, well, you know. I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you have to know what he's, you know, how, what, what, what he's about yeah. in order to, you know, to be interested. So I think anybody, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> that was fun. Very cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that that uh, that you've got going on these days that we should talk about? Um, you know, just staying in, staying inside, not hoping not to get sick. You know, yeah. <laughs> so far so good. So far so good. It's been okay that way. But uh, no, just like you know, doing my teaching, trying to get stuff published as I get around to finishing uh, the final 1% of the, uh, of the publications and uh, you know, some possible recordings. I guess a cool thing coming up before I forget is I got involved in a project from um, it's, uh, Minneapolis Public Radio. Okay. One of these public radio, uh, Milwaukee or Minneapolis, and then and uh, do, r r being a part of um, um, a project to record a whole bunch of music by Justin Holland. Oh, cool. the American, you know, yeah. the American, Black American uh, yeah. guitarist composer, born in 1819, very prolific. Who worked in Ohio. <laughs> worked in Ohio, right, right. He went to Oberlin, too, and everything, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wrote a ton uh, of guitar. Was, was Steve Aaron's teaching there at the time? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that goes so for you, making, Steve. <laughs> so me and a, a, a couple of grad students, uh, Gabi Liete and Michael Vasconis and a few other people, uh, we recorded like about 90 minutes, I think, of music. Oh, cool. So it's like a little repository of pieces. Yeah. Uh, so people can, you know, eventually it'll be released any minute, you know, I'm waiting. We recorded this stuff in June, so I kind of forgot. Okay. But um, actually, you know, a lot of his music is very interesting because, well, you have like uh, uh, the music, which is basically Italian opera um, sure. derived stuff like uh, Purple and something like that. Right. right? That was they're very popular at the time, even in America. And then um, a lot of the stuff I chose to play were um, the more Americana. I tried to choose oh, like cool. Americana stuff. So like little waltzes and the variations on Home Sweet Home. Yeah. And uh, things like that, and they're they're actually very tricky little pieces too. They have their own, you know. Every composer has their own hand, the way their hands work, mm -hmm. you know, and the way everybody's hands works are, are different. The way you know, sure, from right, you know, if you play, there's people, a stamp, yeah, sure, there's a stamp, exactly, yeah. right, the, uh, in a funny way. And uh, uh, so he has a couple of a couple of like things about his playing that are very uh, very tricky and very kind of fun to. To work, but the funny thing about it is a lot of it would work like peekaboo waltz and things like that. <laughs> Seesaw waltz. They're all pieces that would, would would go beautifully on the Lawrence Welk show, you know. <laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. You know, because he writes a lot of music kind of like that. 
Yeah, and and then the Italian stuff, the, the, know, the parlor music. music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but he was a very interesting, uh, very interesting character. What I love about him is, uh, you know, in his method. Because I was wondering, how, how did people play in America? You know. Yeah. And um, so I picked up his method, and there were two things. Mostly, it's derived from like Kuruli and Kokasi stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, but the two things I took away from were he does mention the t- the t- swords tone color theories. Oh, you know, about so that, oh okay well that means he used you know he subscribes to that idea you know, yeah. Monticello the oboe uh-huh. and the harp sound and the trumpet sound and all those tone colors right um, so that he subscribes to that so that's something that like if one person is playing American music voting or something like that you can use yeah. the, those tone colors which are like Yobet and Segovia basically right sure know? yeah yeah you know and that was one interesting thing is and then the other interesting thing is when he says. Um, about harmony applied to the guitar. He has a little mention about harmony. And he says, well, this is too complicated to get to here, but I recommend everybody to study. Um, and he mentions a thorough bass book. You know, huh. that was, yeah, yeah, Burroughs, I think is the guy's name. Amazing. And, yeah, and I said, wow, so he did, uh, like he did fretboard harmony, you know? He, 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 <laughs> he hung his head bass. out the window when he was 14. He said, dad, I want counterpoint lessons. Basically, yeah, so he had, <laughs> that's pretty funny, yeah. So he had, yeah, Burrow, Burrow is his guy, B-U-R-R-O-W-E-S, he is Burrow Bass Primer, 1832, yeah. Do you know, do you know that source? Have you, have you seen it? Yeah, I have it. It was, it's easily available on IMSLP. Amazing. Is that amazing? So he did, you know, he worked with, with, with third bay, figured bass, yeah. those kind of methods. And I thought that was great because that, that, I mean, I teach that at Manhattan School and the, uh, you know, that's something that. We all need to, you know, you, you would, you know, from the Burrow guitar stuff sure, and everything, yeah. you know, it's like a big part. But people, well, people say, well, why do guitarists play in treble clef? I said, well, they played in bass clef too because everybody had to be able to read, right? Big figure, fig, you know, figures. You have to do sure. figure bass, professionals, you know. Right. So, um, so that's a big element of our of our playing, actually. Huh. Yeah. So, so I thought those are the two things I thought were were very very interesting about him yeah and, and, and also and, he doesn't really get any any uh now a little bit public you know a little bit of public uh right acknowledgement but he never really did you know right now yeah. we're too too busy paying attention to other things <laughs> yeah well it's segovia you know segovia right segovia blew it blew a lot of things as great as he was and i'm a big fan and he just yeah. blew everything out of the water he blew uh the russian seven string guitar out of the water yeah. for a long time right he went to russia and everybody quit playing the seven string guitar. Right. And they started playing the Spanish guitar. Right. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. Bizarre. Yes. Powerful, Very strange. Powerful yeah. So it took uh, all, all this time for Segovia to get out of our digestive system, you know? <laughs> 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 oh, yes. I, I, yes. That is the perfect, that's the perfect analogy. <laughs> Yes, it really is the purge, you know, and, <laughs> and it's happening with all the, you know, with the Segovia repertoire pieces too. Now. Right. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're seeing uh, publications of the, like, the Segoviaized right, ed- right. editions, you know, for, for, good, for good or bad, whatever you think yeah. about. But, you know, well, it's, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, I think it's interesting, you know, like you said, for good or bad, isn't it nice to just know? 
You know, Absolutely. It isn't 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 that the nice part? Is to just know what you're dealing with, you know, and then yeah, make it, you make your choices one way or the other. But you know, and and again, like when I'm faced with those kinds of things, the first question that comes up to me is like, which one's easiest to play? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because again, I'm lazy. <laughs> That's the way to be. But you know, Segovia was really smart because oh, yeah. in the eight, late eighties, when he was like ninety-two. You know, he started teaching again. Yeah. You know, and I saw, you know, how interesting. Like, he came to Manhattan School. I played for him there. And then he came Oh, did you? In 82, he gave classes at the uh, wow. Metropolitan Museum of Art. So I played for him there. Yeah. Along, you know, a lot of people my generation, um, you know, in their, tw- you know, when Segovia was really old, he started, yeah. uh, you know, he started, he, he just went back to teaching. Manhattan School met right. Southern uh, California University, mm-hmm. USC, Geneva. So he started teaching all that. And I'm thinking, wow. What a great career move! <laughs> sure, to get, let's, let's get you the know, generation, that, yeah, exactly. Like now, it's a, such a powerful experience to play at that time. You know, to play for Segovia. That Amazing. Now, for me, like, and then when the Segovia archive material came out, then I was then, then for me, like Segovia became a real god. You know, yeah, because of because of uh, all the great music that was inspired. You know, even if he didn't play it, it was really inspired. And uh, but he that was such a smart thing. He went with his wife, you know, and she translated, and he and he taught all the younger generation. Yeah, because you don't you don't think of that, right? I mean, I mean, when I'm that age, I don't I don't think I'm going to be like, oh, I think I'll go do some teaching now, you know? (laughs) Right, right. My plan, my my retirement plan was to learn the viola so I could join the nursing home orchestra. You know, that's what my plan. <laughs> and now the, the podcast episode has a title. <laughs> Mark, this has been, it's been fantastic talking to you. My gosh. And, and I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking, how come I, this is the first time I've ever talked to this guy. This is amazing. This is great. Yeah. So I have to travel. You know, when traveling <clears throat> happens again, you know, when it's really comfortable to travel. Come to There's Ohio. a lot of guys I want to see, you know, <laughs> I want to see you. I want to see Stanley. I want to see yeah. A lot, a, a lot of people that I don't get to see, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a strange, strange couple of years for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then as I get older, you know, traveling for me would be not to see the sights. You know, now I'd rather see the people. You know. Yeah. But uh, and I and I, I say this to almost all of my guests, but I really mean it with you. I, we we have to have you back because there there's so much stuff, other stuff that I want to talk about with you. Because um, I know that you, your experience early in your performing career was was kind of unique, and and I want to kind of pick your brain about that. And uh, you, you you mentioned the chamber music thing, and and I think you're probably the only guitarist I know that's done a recording with harmonica. Um, so so yeah, we definitely need rare. to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's but, a whole uh, bunch of, you know, that's a whole story there. We, 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 we <laughs> can do a whole nother episode, I'm sure, talking about all of that. And I, I, I want to do that. And I, we will we will definitely get you back for sure. So, but it's been it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was great yeah. to see you and talk to you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. This is Carl Wolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Wolwind Guitarist on Facebook. <laughs>